What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, people. How is it going? Monday afternoon it is time for Monster Legend Podcast. And today's episode is Monster Legends of New York. If you're ready for this, this is part one of Monster Legends of New York. Part two will come out on Thursday. Also, I've been announcing on the Instagrams and the Twitters today uh, episode is beginning of sweepstakes and as promised I'm going to tell you how you're going to be able how you enter that sweepstakes by listening to this episode I'll tell you how but more on that later first off I want to thank you for listening to this episode and we can get into our first cryptozoological find in New York. I'm a mouse. All right. First up is Champy. Champy is um, a legendary lake monster said to live in Lake Champlain. Uh, this is much the, the Nessie of North America, so to speak. There have been over 300 sightings of Champy 
dating back to at least 1819, causing it to become a regional icon often used to promote tourism. Wow. Makes sense. You want to go for the monster somewhere. Want to get people in there and people want to see it. Very. Makes a lot of sense, you know. I want to see a monster. Be really cool. Interesting. Uh, so, but Lake Champlain namesake. Uh, it's often claimed that Lake Champlain namesake Samuel D. Champlain was the first to see the legendary creature. Wow. However, the first alleged sighting of a giant sea serpent in the lake happened on July 22, 1819, near Port Henry, New York. Which, uh, didn't really come much to anything until 1873, where the legend caught the public eye when the New York Times reported the sensational signs of an enormous serpent with reflective silver scales by a railroad crew, as well as an alleged sighting by a Clinton County Sheriff. Ooh. wonder how, I guess they were working by a lake, the, the railroad crew. And I guess the county sheriff was by the lake as well. What could be silver scales? Like a, not time, like maybe a, a submarine, maybe. So I think there were submarines back then. Or were, I think they were boats. Like they were wooden submarines. Oh. There was um, a photo taken back in the uh, second day, I think 1960 something, I think. Let me, check, let me double check on that one just a second. Right, right with you. How you having doing? How was your, how was your weekend? Is it good? Lots of stuff, crazy, crazy stuff going on right now. Dang COVID and cost being freaking stupid. Idiots, morons. I'm real sorry for everybody that's losing somebody and got someone taken away from them. I don't, I know what's that. I know the feeling. Here. Um, apparently that 1819 signing was by name of Captain Crumb. It's a great name. It'd be great for like a, a bread, like a, not, what's it called? Oh, oh. Breadcrumbs. Yeah. Captain Crumb's breadcrumbs. You're great for bread and shit, bread and fish. That'd be great. Don't you think? Uh, I uh, said he claimed to see the anomalous creature of monstrous proportions. Uh, I said it was a 187 foot long black serpent with head that resembled a seahorse, as well as having three teeth, eyes that 
with color of peeled, of peeled onion, a white star on its forehead, and a belt of red around its neck. That is the description given by Captain Chrome in July 22nd, 1819, which is a, uh, seven, seven years after the War of 1812. And what's going on, Tom? I think uh, President, not Andrew Jackson. Was it Andrew Jackson? No, it was the 1820s. Andrew Jackson. Uh, Jefferson. Wait, Jefferson or oh, I don't know. Target words. All right. So, and like I said, 1873, P.T. Barnum got a whole heard about this champ, champy person. Happy um creature and he put up a award for anyone who can find find it or get the body. It was about twenty thousand dollars bounty. Dead or alive for Champy Sea Serpent that PT Barton put up, which is uh equal to uh Is equal to uh, what cost 20,000 in 1873 will cost 432,532 dollars and 48 cents in 2019. That's uh, and thousand dollars cost you 944 dollars. We won in 1873, 2019. So, a lot of money put up for that. But uh, these wars were never collected. However, and he would uh, suggest that Fari's boats would use Gatling guns and spray the water, the bullets, and anything bigger than 50 foot. Um, take up to see him. Oh, in 1977. A photograph was taken by uh, Sandra Mansi. Uh, she claimed to see a crisp, uh, seen a creature in a lake while on vacation, and Hurley snapped the photo. Uh, uh, investigations for the photo suggested there was no tampering, but there was no negatives of the photo to prove its authenticity. authenticity. Uh, she only snapped a single shot of this apparently extraordinary site. And there's no, like I said, there's no progress to clarify the photo's accuracy. Uh, many have also pointed out it resembles to the famous alleged photo of the Loch Ness Monster, a surgeon's photo, which was proven to be a hoax in 1994. 
if I I'm going to look up this photo right now while I'm recording this. It looks very. I don't know if that's it or not. I think this is it. Black and white. It looks very, very weird. It is. A, I think this is it. I will try to describe this picture for you since it obviously can't see it. It is um, a picture of a lake with a clear sky in the background and a uh, forest shoreline and there's a creature with a very long neck that's surfacing on the water it is I don't it is definitely not a sturgeon or a crocodile it looks appears that this head is above the water and it's curved and I say about uh, da, 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 70 60 degrees almost parallel to the water to the, the right and its body like it's Looking over its shoulder, you know what I mean? What else we got here? Oh, notes. look at my notes. Look at my notes. Okay. Uh, like Nessie, the light monster of Loch Ness, Champy is a sub subject of interest to the proponents of cryptozoology as pseudo science revolving around the search for monsters and mystical creatures. I don't like the word pseudo science. <sighs> uh, regardless of their province, science of champion and the legend that surrounds them have been embraced by many in the Lake Champlain region as an attraction for tourists and a fun symbol of community pride. Say Vermont passed uh, Symbolic resolution protecting Champy in 1982. Uh, and New York passed a similar resolution encouraging citizens to photograph lit science next, next year. Wow, that's pretty crazy. That is very, very interesting. There, it's over 300 signings. You must think there must be something there, right? Or I don't know if it's a, a sea monster. Like there's definitely something that is going on in that lake. When you, oh, when you say they're seeing something, the question is what? Is that a giant sea serpent with uh, three teeth and red thing around his neck? star on his forehead I don't know I know what you think before we move on to another lake monster I want to tell you a little bit more 
about the uh, how to enter those sweepstakes. In order to enter the sweepstakes, I you're going to need to do one thing. Simply do this. On the neck on the post, I'm going to post a picture of uh cryptid that I have talked about in this episode. And it'll be the cryptid that um I'll tell you. You know, I'll I'll say this is a Ooh, I haven't decided yet which one I'm gonna do. I'll I probably decide later until you end. Um, there are comment four emojis in a specific order. I'll tell you those emojis throughout the episode. So you have to listen to the entire episode to know what those emojis are. And first one to comment those emojis in order I tell them will win the sweepstakes. So that's why I've been telling you to subscribe so you get notified, be able to hear this episode first. And of course, family and close friends are not able to um, enter the sweepstakes because of nepotism stuff. Does that makes sense. Sorry. And the prize is um, some merch. All right. Next up, we have Georgie. And there was only 45 states in the county, country. The leading cause of death in America was ammonia, and in Hague, New York, Lake George Monster was created. Story of Lake... Oh man, this is a great story. Okay. So, the story of Lake George Monster, or Georgie as it came to be known, began with a competition between two friends. Colonel William Mann, publisher of Town Publix, which was a predecessor for the New York New Yorker magazine, and Jen R. Painter Harry Mortress. So what happened is, is, is uh, I think one of these guys made up this thing about calling catching this bass fish, right? And this other guy made this thing. Um. Uh oh. According to legend, uh, Walters and retaliation, uh, retaliation for a fishing trick man had played on him a week or two prior. Once he pretended to catch and mount a whopping 40 pound trout, only to have Watrous learn the fish was made of wood, made a 10 foot long cedar log into a sea monster. So he made a sea monster have a log, right? And he would pull it through the water and scare a bunch of people. And I go, oh my God, it's a freaking monster all over its freaking place. Like, what the hell is happening? Oh, 
And this is back in 1904. And you imagine people in 1904 are crazy, going erratic. Uh, Waltrus was quoted as inserting two telegraph pole and slayers of green glass for eyes and painting the log to give the appearance of a monster. Waltrus then rigged a rope and pulley to make the monster move. While man and several other of the New York acquaintances were on the water, Waltrus brought the log out and gave the crew quite a show. Uh, Georgie, like George Monster, eventually Waltrus gave up on the gag. So he did this for a while, but eventually um, he gave up on the gag. And it wasn't until 1920 when the actual body was found, which was his two logs and all this stuff he used to make it. Uh, a few years later, Gris got uh, retrieved the monster and brought it back to Lake George. Even though Watcher's prank happened over a century ago, Georgie is still a fixture in Lake George lore. Each year, the Lake George Historical Association and Museum draws visitors wishing to see a modeled-down replica of Watcher's original monster. Wow, that's really cool. So this guy made a prank, basically pranked his friends, right? And a century later, they're still talking about that. That's how good of a prank this guy made. Hilarious. That's the best prank ever. That's pretty. How do you top that? I don't know. Uh, some joke that like George hoax has been a viral, made a viral graffiti magazine's list of seven lamest yet widely believed cryptozoological hoaxes. So this is another hoax. This is a hoax. Everybody. This is a confirmed hoax of like, Georgie the Lake Monster was a hoax. Let's make it clear. But some joke that the Lake George Monster has in fact left Lake George for Lake Champlain becoming champy. Not me. I don't know. But yeah, we didn't know because we guy told us what happened and how he did it and what he made that stuff out of. Oh, Boy. So they people decided to still search Lake George anyway, but the only thing to be found at the bottom of the Lake George is artifacts from the Revolutionary War, of which Lake George was a main waterway. Pretty nuts. Pretty nuts. Uh, the first uh, emoji in that you will need to enter is the crocodile emoji again that is the crocodile emoji that is their first emoji And then you put these all in one uh, comment. Can't be like one after another. It could be all in one. And the 
sweepstakes will end. And the winner will be chosen or announced at the on Thursday when part two comes out. Next up, we have another Lake Monsters. More Lake Monsters, the Finger Lake Monsters. Among the most intriguing stories are the numerous reported signs in the deepest of the lakes of large aquatic creatures. Lake Monsters. Wow. Native American uh, believes Seneca Lake to be a bottomless lake with a monster that lived in its depths. Ooh. Story, there's a story, uh, went on to account that members of the newspaper staff have been living in daily anticipation of old Granny's appearance. And if, ah, uh, see more of this. Uh, oh. The reports of monsters in Cayuga Lake were numerous, perhaps even routine in the 1800s, and can be inferred from a story in a January 5th, 1897 edition of the Ithaca Journal. And Kriblin's piece reported that recent sighting marked the 69th consecutive year in which there was a confirmed encounter with a monster named Old Granny. Alright, so nine years of seeing this monster old granny and had refused reported assignments that would often take the story went on to account the members of the newspaper staff have been living in daily anticipation of old granny's appearance and had refused reporting assignments that would have taken them near the lake because they were afraid of the monster the 1897 incident was reported to have been by an Ithaca resident who was driving along the lake eastern shore and saw he must be the large Mon Sea Serpent. If I could. The creature was described to be, by witness as being approximately 12 to 15 feet in length. It was speculated that they might be members of the Seneca Lake Sea Serpent family that found their way into the local waters through a subterranean channel, which is believed to exit between two lakes. Legends of tunnels connecting Kaigua and Seneca lakes have long circulated, which anyone with a rudimentary grasp of the notion of water seeking its own level knows would be impossible. So I guess one of these, not very uh, familiar with the geography of this area, but I'm assuming that one of these lakes is um, higher elevation than the other. Uh, it was speculated that they might be members of Seneca. Incident with the greatest number of witnesses, therefore, the most credible lake monster encounter happened on the evening of July 14th on Seneca, eight, July 14th, 1899, on Seneca Lake. Okay, so what happened? 
seems to have somewhere between Dresden on the west side of the lake and Willard on the east side. Pilot Frederick Rose reported that approximately 400 yards ahead of the boat was that what appeared to be an overturned boat. As the steamboat approached the uh, things will scroll down forward. Okay. As the steamboat approached to within 50 yards of the creature, the captain gave the oral to turn the boat so that its paddle would wheel would strike the creature midway between its head and tail. The boat went ahead full steam and struck the monster with enough impact that made many stems were thrown off their feet. The moral wounded animal lay in the water next to the steamboat. But it was so big, this, this creature was so big that they couldn't carry it and it like sank to the bottom of the lake. It was never found again. And that's some crap. And people are like, oh, maybe the whole crew, everybody on the crew made it up. And people are like, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of hard to really believe that everybody was in on the hoax. All those people because get enough more than three people and it's hard to keep a secret or a gag or whatever going on for more than a weekend, you know? Uh, Lake Sturgeon and this is to both lakes can live to be as old as a hundred years grow to nine feet long and 300 pounds. So what I'm saying is it could be a uh, Lake Sturgeon are being um, thought to be as monsters at this time. Ooh, take a. I'm gonna take a quick moment to give a shout out to a few podcasts that are pretty awesome. And here is it. Here they are. But it was Aliens, Cryptic Campfire, Legendary Pod, that's uh, Legendary Africa, History A, History A, last podcast on the left, uh, Curiosity's Pod, and that's why we drink podcasts, Conversations with Strange, Conspiracy stuff, your mom's house, fighter and a kid. That's BS podcast. Uh, into the fray radio and screaming choice. So was all great podcasts. I listen to them every week at work. They're really entertaining. Hope you guys um, listen to them. If you listen to my stuff, you would really like their stuff. up we have Augie located northwest of Syracuse New York and south of Lake Ontario is Ondaga Lake a five mile long one mile wide body of water with a surface area of 4.6 square miles and maximum depth of 73 feet that is really deep people 73 feet what's that what is that in like stories? 
that is six stories deep, 6.742545455445428 stories deep. It's like a small building, not small building. It's a pretty decent sized building. Could be under that lake and still be there. In the late 19th century and in the early 19th and the early 20th centuries, as Syracuse began to grow, the western shore of Onaga Lake became increasingly industrialized. All right, it makes sense. We got industrial revolution happening. People are moving uh, away from like um, huge farming for their um, economy into more industrial industry factory work this time in New York a lot of people coming in and this I remember from history class I think a lot of worker writer happening at this time I think this working conditions weren't exactly the greatest at this moment in history like children working 13 hour way too much or I see at all way too much really and no rights no benefits or nothing like that ah sewage disposal and industrial discharges into the lake also increased dramatically during this period resulting in the deterioration of the water's quality oh man so all that nasty water and sludge and sewage and all those people come in, they're working in those factories, pooping and crapping all over. Poop, no, I said pooping and crapping, like it's the same thing. Wow, say the same thing again. I'm talking too fast, I'm sorry. Okay, slow down. You got the Tanner. By the way, my name's Tanner. I'm the host of Monster Legend Podcast. I hope you're having a great time and enjoying this episode so far. Okay. By World War II, the lake was primarily being utilized for the disposal of both industrial and domestic waters, including runoff from uh, Osaka's Nine Mile Island Nuclear Power Facility Discharge its way strictly into a river, be straight into Ondaga Lake. Today, oh, that's not good at all. They're, they're, they have nuclear power back then. I guess yeah. I guess they had a nuclear bomb. They had a atomic bomb. So I guess they had the know-how to make a nuclear power plant. That makes total sense. Today, Ondaga Lake is considered by the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, to be one of the most polluted lakes in the United States. That's not bueno. Hope they clean it up. It'll be hard to clean up the nuclear waste though, because that stuff lasts forever. It is the um, permanent marker of pollution. One of the most popular legends involving the origin of Augie Lake 
takes place in 1972. When a youthful boy scout returned from a camping trip somewhere in the dense, dense swamp infested forest of upstate New York, the salamander yet found while sitting on a log. What happened to the salamander? Failing the salamander, we have no chance of survival and notoriously cold circuitized winter. He decided to flush it down the toilet. Open a tiny animal. We'll find some comfort in the relative warmth of the sewers, or at least meet a quick and painless end. But according to this legend, the salamander survived the flush, eventually ended up in Otago Lake, where it was mentally immersed in a plethora of pollutants like mercury and various other chemicals. And with all these pollutions and chemicals, this uh, little salamander mutated and grew over the years until 1977 when people began to notice bizarre occurrences in a lake, including the reported sighting of a dragon swimming not far offshore by members of Turquoise branch of the Cub Scouts Troop 400. Ooh, very reminiscent of another um, urban legend of New York, don't you think? Urban myths aside, the history and traditions of the Ontagos, as well as the native Iroquois of the region, seem to indicate that the creature known as Augie has lived in Ontago Lake for centuries. Oh, that's interesting. So we got a story of this boy from 1977, and it coincides with this legend of. Native American Iroquois mythology. This creature from oh, been there for hundreds of years. It's quite the coincidence. Theories as to identify of Augie vary depending on who you need, on who you speak to. Some suggest that Augie may not be a vertebrate at all. But a bizarre descendant of the bacterial colonies and algae blooms that infest the lake. Others have struck. Ugh. Others have stuck to the more urban myth aspect of the tale, including the original salamander story, and the always popular alligator and the sewers myth. And. Oh. Speaking of alligators and sewers, I think I'll talk about that more. I think I'll touch on that in part two. So if you're interested, make sure you listen to that episode. That'll be coming out on Thursday. Already, take a moment. I'll take a quick break right about here, 
and please um enjoy your time as we um have a little uh promotion from uh another podcast come up please listen to them and come back for more of monster legends of new york on monster legend podcast Hello and welcome back. We all know real life can suck sometimes, and your boss accidentally seeing you in your underpants on Zoom last week doesn't help any. That's why reluctantly codependent sisters, the Shira and Rashalia, keep you enthralled and in stitches every week with their podcast, Legendary Africa. Every Monday and Friday, we take you on a journey of mythical lands, magical objects, and monstrous creatures, both ancient and modern. Find Legendary Africa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you feed your ears. And remember, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Back to Monster Legend Podcast, Monster Legends of New York, Part 1. Next up, we have the Cardriff Giant. This is a very interesting story about the biggest, like, finger to legend that anyway is done and you know there's a great uh maybe episode i think it was an episode like one part episode that um that last podcast last podcast on left did on the codrift monster i'm sure there's others podcasts out there who may have covered it but here is my uh take on it Cardiff Giant, sometimes referred to as America's biggest hoax, a 10-foot-long stone figure that was touted as a petrified giant. Again, giants. We talk about giants in Monster Legends of Nevada and in... I think... Massachusetts? Or Ice Giants in Massachusetts? So it was um scared this guy he um he like built this thing right to like get back at uh let me pull this up here this article from live science by jesse Saisley, august 6th august 17th 2016. Oh, what are you doing what are you doing here People after Civil War, people were more open to ideas like evolution and stuff, but they weren't really um how do you how do you put this? Um sorry, I'm saying um a lot, I'm sorry. Oh boy, oh boy, boy. Uh Barbara Franco rest of people were interested. Attended lectures and stuff and about curiosities. Okay, um, uh, George Hall made this Codrift giant. He like got 
certain material, certain rock to carve it out of. They had it hauled over about 40 miles back to New York. He buried it in the ground. And, um, um, Ben Hamilton, New York. No, that's not where he put it. He put it, um, as trick would illustrate that what you consider the bigness of literal belief in such battle stories. So was, he had this, uh, argument with his, um, fundamentalist Christian believe the Bible literally. And he decided to make this petrified giant and bury it to see like, oh, it's so ridiculous. See, they'll believe anything, you know. It was over at uh, took Hall more than two and a half years and about $2,600 to make the cod drift giant. Wow. Button Journal, New York, uh, the Carter Drive, 100 year old hoax. Barbara Franco writes that people are sitting in new sciences without really understanding them. Those of the Carter Drive appealed to a wide range of viewers. George Hall's primary impetus, praying it, was to demonstrate the gullibility of religious believers. That's what I said. Let's repeat myself now. I am sorry for repeating myself. I am sorry for repeating myself. I am sorry for. Sorry for putting myself. Ah, uh, Hall was an atheist, which was even at a time of increased interest in science, put him in a tiny minority, made him something of an outcast. According to Scott Tribble, author of A Colossal Hoax, The Giant from Codrift That Fooled America, Books Live Science about the Codrift Giant. Hall disagreed. But the preacher's assertion got him thinking. As the uh, preacher said, there's there were actually giants in that actually existed. Uh, according to Jim Murphy's a giant and how he made humbug America, Hall said that he lay in bed that night wondering why people would believe those remarkable stories in the Bible about giants. When suddenly I thought of making a stone giant and passing off as a petrified man, ah, uh, giant down to every last detail including tiny pores on the giant's surface. This brought the giant national attention within days. The giant was leading story in papers across the country in triple set. So I think I missed something in my notes. So we uh, shifted back to. Yeah, so we went to Fort Dodge, Iowa to get this uh, material, right? And he, Shit it back over five tons, 4.5 metric tons block of Gibson. And at the height of summer, personally conveyed it by wagon to the nearest rail station, more than 40 miles away. All then shit the block east of Chicago, where he already has crewed a partner, a couple of stone workers for hire. Trouble continued over the course of several weeks. Hall and his team fastened the 10 foot, 3,000 pound, uh, three meters giant down to every last uh 
dye had details like nails, nostrils, and an Adam's apple. Clearly visible ribs and even a hint of a muscle definition. Its leg, leg was twisted over the giant over the right, and its hands seemed to be holding its stomach in pain. Though the facial expression was serene, later visitors would remark upon its benevolent smile. According to Franco, the giant originally had hair and a beard, but were removed with Hall learned the hair would not petrify. Workers applied sulfuric acid and other liquids that left it with a dark, dingy, aged hue. So the berry in Codriff, I'm assuming this why it's called Codriff Giant. Codriff, New York, about 60 miles north of Hall's home in Binghampton. Hall's cousin, William C. Stubb, had a farm there Hall could use for a barrel spot. Several fish fossils have been found in a lake nearby. Okay. So you this. They buried it and they left it in there for... Most there's a lot of religious revivals going on in that time. Like the religion, uh, there's a second Greek awakening and Joseph Smith, the, I think the founder, I would say of, some would say of Mormonism, of Latter, Church of Latter-day Saints, as also known as. On determined Saturday, Hall and Newell hired two workers to dig a well. So they're saying, oh, let's dig a well at the burial site. And they're like, oh, I got something. What's this? This is a pet giant petrified man. What is happening? It's crazy. But they put it there. And here's a quote. When he hit the giant's foot about three feet down. I declare some old Indian has been buried here. Claimed one of the men, according to the journal Archaeology. Archaeology? That's not sound right to me. Why does that sound right? Archaeology? Archaeology? I heard it. I would, it will say it, but it looks weird. You know what I mean? The story of like, what? What's his face? Who's the guy with the whip? The lasso the hat. So he's running from stuff had a beef with his dad one movie Neon Jones yeah that guy well he does uh, on Monday Noel raised a tent over giant and began charging visitors 50 cents a head for a 15 minute viewing about the price of a movie ticket today Average uh, 300 to 500 visitors a day for a few weeks, with one Sunday bringing nearly 3,000. Born to Franco, though Newell owned the farm, Hall man's giant business. Uh, according to Jim Humphreys, uh, that brought the giant national attention within days. The giant was leading story in papers across the country. Okay. Okay. Uh, New York Daily Tribune ran a front page story about the giant and they brought national giant national attention within days. 
giant head. Okay. So National Tribune, the story on this Congress giant, and it brought uh, attention to the na nation on this uh, bizarre uh, thing that's happening. This petrified stone man that's in Carter of New York. You can check this out. In the Okay, Hall's Creed. Uh, uh, the Carter Giant was moved to Saracoise, New York, uh, where P.T. Barnum uh, offered to buy a quarter share of the Giant for $50,000. Like a lot of money back then. Uh, it's a lot of money now, $50,000. Jeez. Man, I will look at it. I would really appreciate $50,000. All my debt settle, good amount of my debt settle. Uh, Barnum's giant, but yeah, he's uh, the guy, Hull, he declined PT Barnum on the deal, but uh, PT Barnum, I kind of stole it and made a giant for himself. Uh, Barnum's giant continued to make more money and within two petrified giants displayed just a few blocks from each other it became difficult for anyone to take either giant seriously according to Franco so uh, there's two stone petrified giants right next to each other and like what is this happening I don't like why would I care you got two here two here it's like the bird like Burger King being right next to McDonald's sort of like this guy's burgers too. like you know what I mean I don't know how to make jokes I'm sorry I'll be funny I'm just, just talking oh so eventually there's more and more of these petrified giants showing up and it eventually ah uh, Everyone lost interest in on the whole fried giant thing, and over time people figured it out. And things came out about Hall and the Cotter Giant. It turned out to be a hoax. Oh, that's pretty. That's probably a very bad telling on that story. It's very interesting, in my opinion, and I think so. What do you think about the Cotter Giant? Please let me know. And also, please be aware that the second of the emojis is going to be announced here on this episode right about now. Second emoji in the comments on Instagram is going to be the bone emoji and that is the bone emoji
Oh boy. Yeah, pretty good weekend. Uh, what I did what I did yesterday? I slept in. No, I didn't. Really sleep. Hold on one sec. Hold on, wait one second. I'll be right back. I am thirsty. I'm gonna get a drink. Alrighty then, we are back. Uh, I was able to get a drink. I was thirsty. We're at the Montac Monster. Uh, we can just go down here. Uh, unless you've been hiding under a rock or spending all your time on Tetsu, you almost certainly have heard about the Montac Monster, a mysterious carcass that washed up on July 13th at Montac, Long Island, New York. It says it's that weird, uh, bloated creature thing that was took a picture of in the on the beach and looked so weird. A good photo of the carcass showing its right lateral view and without any reference for scale surface on July 30th has been all over the internet. Given that only recently devoted a week opposed to sea monsters, it's only fitting that I cover this too. What has caused widespread confusion and speculation is that while the lower jaw appears to have a jagged rows of pointy teeth, the upper jaw supports a hooked bony beak. This structure has led to the carcass being termed a rodent-like creature with a dinosaur beak as an eagle dog into suggestions that it might be the carcass of a turtle that had lost its shell. However, the face is short. Looks like the prostitutal part of the skull is long and bulky. While no teeth at all are visible in the upper jaw, the lower jaw clearly contains a large pointed canine and four four-post canines with tall conical cusps. The two details that make the carcass look odd, lack of hair over most carcass and the supposed beak in the upper jaw are clearly typhomonic artifacts. The Tafa, uh, the Montauk monster therefore owes its bizarre appearance to partial decomposition. So it got in the water and lost all its hair and got all bloated, like all crazy looking. Like everything those, uh, those toys, those little, like dinosaur things you put in the bathtub and they blow up. It's like, that's what's happening with that, um, decomposing body. But it looks so weird. What, what, what could it be? Uh, the competition made it hard for it um, to identify this creature. What made it its thing, though, was it was the digits of the hands that gave the, this away to me. The Montem Carcass had a very strange, elongated, almost human like fingers with short claws. Give out, they were clearly did. Dealing with the North American carnivore raccoon is the obvious choice of what the Montauk monster could be or is or was. Raccoons are well known for having particularly dexterous fingers that lack the sort of interdigital webbing normally present in carnivores. 
the Montag animal has lost its upper canines incisors. If you're surprised by the length of the Montag animal's limbs, note that like a lot of mammals, we ordinarily assume to be relatively short-legged. Raccoons are actually surprisingly leggy. And I think, uh, coincidentally, uh, Gangrums had, I watched a video on Gangrums, uh, on this, about, they were talking about, uh, Aaron was talking to Dan about cryptids and this came up, I believe. Oh, it's got a copyright effect for just doing that little tune there. One joke. Hope that's a joke. Next up, we have a uh, great naked bear. Naked bear was described as a monstrous man-eating creature resembling an enormous bear with no fur and oversized head. Its ergoid's name literally means great bear. According to some stories, this monstrous bear is hairless because its fur falls out as well as eating human flesh. Naked bears are nearly invincible to human attacks, but can be killed by shooting arrows into the soles of their feet. Some believe that naked bear may have been inspired by mammoths or mastodon fossils. Very interesting. Here's another, here's a more of a folklore uh, story I found. Moses Humphrey was a member of Fire Company 40 in New York City in the 1800s. An inspiration for the folk hero character Mose the Fireboy. The character of Mose first appeared on Broadway in Benjamin A. Baker's Glancet, New York in 1848. Moses featured in several stage shows and painting novels in the mid 19th century. So this is Firefighter, but this is character of a Broadway show. And it's very popular based on this guy, Firefighter. And it was uh, played most famously by uh, Frank Chamfro. If I'm saying that right. To, I mean, to, I mean, to disrespect the Chamfro family. Uh, Frank, that's his first name, and C-H-A-N-F-R-A-U. How you spell his surname. Shafro, I think that's right, Shafro. The fireboard character was said to have eight of height of uh, eight feet and hands as big as Virginia hams. He was able to lift trolley cars over his head and rescue babies inside a stovepipe hat. As his own beaver hat was uh, two foot across, across the brim. Certain stories recall Moses performing extraordinary deeds, such as swimming the Hudson River with two strokes, or tearing up mulberry and cherry trees to use his bludgeon against the plug uglies, a game that were at odds with New York Fireman Company. Wow. Pretty cool. I like to read those stories if I can. Next up, I have fun. 
everybody. Hope you're uh, writing these emojis down as I uh, talk about them. I will give a let you know when the picture I am going to post. You'll need to comment on in order to enter the sweepstakes. Next up, we have the Kinderhook Blob. The first report of this creature comes to us from author and New York State Library genealogist Bruce Hallenbeck. When Hallenbeck was a 10-year-old boy, he and his cousins were frolicking in the woods behind his parents' house and they both saw something they would never forget. They uh seen this like white floaty lobbyist thing just floating in the air in the forest. And they got scared and ran away from it. Uh Hallenbeck recorded this bizarre event years later in 1992 in a book he wrote with Paul Barth Robert Bartholomew and William Brandtile, Monster of the North Woods. And here's a quote, I believe, from that book. Uh, when I was 10 years old, I was up in the woods behind our house with my cousin Cherry, who was then age seven. On an even in question, an unnamed man was taking a seriously hike through the woods when he saw what he later described as a big white blob lying down the hill towards him. Some say that the third reported encounter with this creature also occurred in 1964, but others testify that it was 14 years later in 1978. Uh, according to their testimony, the first sign something was amiss in the woods was when both Scott and Lee heard something trampling down the wooded hills outside the tent. So this thing was trampling, it was supposed to be floating at the same time, and it's very strange, very. The thing was described as white hovering being does it virtually identical to the creature seen by both Hallenbeck, Sherry, and two unnamed men. Except in this case, the being looks less like an armorous blob and more like a prototypical ghost. I believe one of the kids said it looked like the Virgin Mary. Uh, also, assuming that the, there really is a 14-year gap between the encounters, could we be dealing with a creature with an honestly long hibernation cycle that has made its home in the Kinderhook Woods? It's worth mentioning that there was also been numerous proofs of UFOs at the same time, as well as large reddish-haired hairy hominid living in the same patch of woods. In fact, uh, Helen Back's grandmother and cousins claimed to have seen and pursued a letter dubbed the Kinderhook creature by nationally syndicated television show PM Magazine. Okay. I would. So, if you'll be so kind to now. Prepare yourself for the third emoji for the 
sweepstakes. Third emoji for sweepstakes is the Ba, 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 ba. I was like picking the sun side randomly on this emoji early. I guess. The city skyline at night emoji is the one that is the third emoji oh last emoji will be coming up soon next up we have the gen o squaw gen squaw a Genesqua is a subspecies of Sasquatch mentioned in Native American folklore at the, as the stone giant man. In Iroquois legend, this harried hominid was known as to not ye, was known as Ot Head or Not which also translates to stone giant or stone coat. It is reported as Sasquatch's larger, bulkier, and more aggressive cousin. They are said to be more aggressive than most other Sasquatch and appear to be very violent and territorial. A general squaw were said to raid Native American camps and carry away their inhabitants. Ooh, that's scary. Even more scary is that the majority of these poor souls would be eaten alive in a one large feast. However, some would be decapitated first by by means of intense and by intense head twisting ooh the ten uh, squaw are also said to exude a horrible odor from their armpits and is described as a mixture between that of a skunk and a dead animal Genesqua uh, is a Native American term meaning stone giants. Uh, explanation of how, for how the creature got its name could be that their fur was coarsened with dirt or mud after rolling around in it, so they were hardened and looked like a stone or possibly an outer layer of armor protection, possibly against arrows. With this standing as a possible theory, it can be said that Genesqua may have been. No different from the typical Sasquatch, save for that they were covered in mud. The descriptions of these creatures are very similar aside from the armor aspect of the Genesqua species. Ooh, so these, oh my god, that's terrifying, right? These giant, uh, animals. Covered in mud, smell like crap, like dead carcass and skunk. Taking your friends and family and twisting your neighbor's head around, eating them alive. Oh, terrifying ordeal. 
ever like smelled like a dead animal? It's like the most disgusting thing ever. I there was this okay, there was this um dead calf. We had to have cows uh at my place. And this cow got sick and it died. And it smell horrendous. It's got like gut wrenching like put your guts out. Smell ugh. Smelled like rotting meat. Next up, we have the Joga or Junkies. Ah, uh, the Junga or Junkies are a race of small humanoid nature spirits from Okoy's folklore. Sometimes referred to as English as dwarfs or pygmies. Think like think like leprechauns, kind of. They are usually invisible, but sometimes reveal themselves to humans, particularly to children, elders, and medicine people. Oh, so like. I wonder what that is about. All of those three demographics have in common. So, like, imagination. The, I don't know. It's interesting. Please tell me more about that. You know anything about that? Ah. In most tribes, Joga are described as being about knee high. Although Discora, little people are said to be four feet tall. The Jogo may play tricks and might even be dangerous to people who disrespect them or their natural home, but they are generally friendly towards the Iroquois and will sometimes do favors for people who leave tobacco or other offerings for them. There are several different types of Jogo or little people that appear in Iroquois folklore. Uh, Gahongas are earth spirits who live on rocky river banks and caves. They are normally strong and are responsible for moving rocks around the countryside. Very nice. Gandaya or drum dancers are nature spirits who offer helpful, often help respectful Iroquois farmers with their crops. Hey man, I hope you Hope we grow some corn, maize. Sorry. Hope we grow some maize and squash, man. I'm a beast, man. Anyway, sorry. Probably just hurt your ears. Okay. Boy. Um, they got the name Drum Dancers because they are always invisible. So only the sound of their drums signal their presence to the Urquois. Uh, Odows are gnomes that live underground and keep snakes and subterranean monsters under control. Thank you, Odows, for. Uh, those turquoise. That is the Jogas. Ooh, a lot of stuff happening. We got some sea lake monsters. Got old Granny. Got Champy. Got. Uh, I don't know. Cowdrift Giant. A lot of stuff happening in New York. 
and it's time for the fourth and final emoji needed in to uh, enter the sweepstakes the fourth and final emoji uh required to enter sweepstakes would be the mushroom emoji and i hope you have gotten all four of those emojis again that is the fourth one is the mushroom emoji if you miss any please go back and listen again i will not repeat them all again after it said so what's in remember when that uh, pilot i had a, like a forced landing in hudson river because the geese well apparently there were some ufos in the hudson time oh uh, what's the former officer had there were uh, what the former officer had seen would be observed but many times in hudson valley over the next few years by hundreds of different witnesses a v-shaped set of multicolored lights moving slowly and silently across the sky on march 26 1983 a front page story the Westchester Rockland Daily item proclaimed article was sold told of sterling of a triangular UFO on March Mar, March 24th by the attention of a group of UFO researchers in a valley associated with Dr. J. Allen Heinick, founder of the Center for UFO Studies. The group started an investigation of the phenomenon, which was later documented as a book, Night Siege. Hudson Valley UFO Science, authored by Dr. Heineck and Philip J. Ambrogno, with the help of Bob Pratt. Ooh. The group opened a UFO hotline and received over 300 calls. Over 300 people called the UFO hotline from people that have seen the UFO on the night of the March 24th alone. So, 300 people seen this UFO thing. Something they couldn't explain on March 24th, all the same night. That is crazy. So there's like one guy out there. The UFO was not just seen over Hudson Valley, but as far east as New Haven, Connecticut, and as far north as Brooksville, Connecticut. While most reports describe the UFO moving at a very slow speed, hovering or turning slowly like a wheel a few reports describe the object as it suddenly zooming away at fantastic speeds or just disappearing that's great like where did it go okay that's a massive well it's crazy in some accounts the shape varied so that lights produce more of a circle than a v the researchers knew that investigated most ufo reports during interior reports have identified falling objects or IFOs 
Most of the servers support the lights move together as a solid object. So they're saying that maybe it was uh, people flying information, like a plane's flying information, but they were saying like, I don't, like, I don't know. They're pretty much exactly like they're one solid mass more than like a variation of planes. And I was also the other maybe it could be a blimp. So and they called um blimp uh pilots the pilots, I believe. And but they can't find anything being scheduled in that area at that time of the UFO sighting. And ooh, hope you're ready for more of new york i have more coming up in part two monster legends of new york part two where i'll be telling you some stories and i'm going to have a special guest join me on part two and he'll talk to us about mole men We'll talk about alligators and sewers and I will give you a few folklore stories I found from based in New York so I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode monster legends of New York part one look forward to part two again on Thursday and again if you're listening to this, you should know how to enter the uh, sweepstakes, which by the way, the picture is going to be of Champy. I don't post a picture of Champy on Instagram when this um, episode is aired or after this episode is aired. That is where you'll post, comment the emojis I've said here. First one to do that is going to win the sweepstakes. First comment will be the winner. That's be one comment of all four emojis in the order I've said them. Is that simple? Cool. You guys are paying attention. And I hope you enjoy this podcast. Enjoy your Monday. My name is Tanner. I have been your host. This has been Monster Led Podcast. And remember, every week, everywhere, cryptids on Monster Legend Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Legend Podcast. Or to find more information about Monster Legend Podcast, go to monsterlegendpodcast.com or anchor.fm forward slash monsterlegendpodcast. There you can find all episodes and platforms on which the podcast is on, which you can describe, subscribe to. You also can email me with questions. That will be answered on the show. 
Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.